We have Bill on the line. What do you want to ask him? There's certain things that you can and can't do with a real estate license, especially when you get into creative financing. So talking directly to the owner, as opposed to going through and talking to agents, different things. So when it comes to creative financing, do you think it's worth it? Yeah, I, it's actually a question I get asked on a semi-regular basis. And my answer is usually pretty much the same. No, don't go get a realtor's license unless you plan to make a living as a realtor. Don't get the license thinking the license in and of itself is going to open doors or get you deals. It's actually probably quite the opposite. It's probably going to close doors. You're going to have to identify yourself as a realtor. It's going to make working with other realtors maybe a little more difficult. When you start getting into commercial multifamily, 20, 30 units and above, the realtors really don't share commissions. So it's not like you're going to be sharing in commissions of your own deals. So that's not going to happen. You know, so I would say no one should get a realtor's license, creative financing aside, unless they really plan to go out, list assets and work and make a living as a realtor. Now, if you're going to do that, that's fine. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Streamline Capital Group, and I'm very excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We have two absolutely amazing people on the line with us today. You know, a guy with a lot of experience. We got Bill Hamm as our experienced investor, and we got David Perez as our aspiring investor today. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Travis. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Bill, you're going to be in the hot seat first. So, let's talk about you. Tell us about your background and you know what brought you into multifamily. Yeah, uh, monkey see, monkey do. Really, I didn't like my job, and I saw friends of mine being successful in real estate, and I thought, you know, they're not smarter than I am. We were all pretty much, you know, hanging out at the same place at the same bar last night. They got up, made a lot of money. I got up, went to work. So that was inspiring. And uh, I was a pilot by trade, uh, backing all the way up. So came out of, of school, started flying as a flight instructor, spent a few years doing that, got a, a corporate position flying airplanes. Uh, realized I wasn't a very good employee. You know, the, the important people were in the back of the airplane, not the front of the airplane. And so I had to figure out how to get from the front seat to the back seat. And uh, yeah, my I did uh, my very first deal, which is a duplex. Mm-hmm. And in a pretty tough neighborhood, it was cash flowing about 300 bucks a month. And I had saved up $10,000 life savings. Yep. And I turned in my two-week notice, went into real estate full-time. So that's how I got here uh, for that's better. bold, actually. Wow. I don't so. recommend people do that. So let me, yes. let me throw that in there. I was 28 years old, you know, no wife, no kids, no debt. Okay. There's that, you know, so I don't want people listening to go flying off the handle and say, you know, come home, tell their wife or something to quit their job because Bill said so. Bill said, I mean, I did not. Uh, no. So again, you know, I thought worst case, what? I just go get another job, you know, and yeah. 28 years old, that was my thought process. And so I threw in uh, everything and, and went full time. 
You know, I, I love I love what you just said, that very last part. What is worst case scenario? A lot of people have like this fear of jumping into something new. And I love how you put it. What's the worst case scenario? I get a job. You yeah, know? who cares? You know, yeah. whatever. What happens if I fail? I get a job and I'm I'm right back to where I am at right now. I love how you put that. But so bold and and something I'd like to point out, you were at least fortunate enough to have people who were in the industry doing this. And that kind of sounds like that was a light bulb moment for you is yeah. man, I'm working for my money and they're doing less, making more. So yeah, flipping houses. And and these these people weren't doing anything super high level. It's not like I was surrounded by all of these really sophisticated real estate investors and all this. No, these I'm from Macon, Georgia. These were just good old boys flipping houses, nothing particularly sophisticated about it. And, and again, I felt like I had a pretty good job that was relatively sophisticated. And these friends of mine who are not very impressive people were out making a whole lot more money than I was. Yeah. A lot less work. And uh and then maybe really stop and analyze where I was at. Yeah. You know, and another point there, and this this is something that, you know, a realization I had at my very first large apartment investing conference I went to, I was intimidated. I was a little worried, do I belong in this group? And I remember a guy put his hand on my shoulder and pointed to everybody else in the room. And this guy had, you know, 2000 units. Oh, by the way, he's got properties in Macon. Well, we'll talk offline. You may know him, but he, he put his hand on my shoulder, pointed to everybody else in the room and said, go talk to those people. He's, You're going to realize they're normal people. He's like, none of them are any smarter than you are. Just exactly. go do it. They take action. Yeah. That was, that was a, lot, a big lesson learned for me too is. Yeah. yeah real estate is not that hard. It's just a, a fair amount of work. It's not, it's, it's mentally simple, really. It can just be a fair amount of work. That's all. It's not, it's not a, an intelligence thing or a, yeah. went to college thing or anything like that at all. It's not like that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I went, I got two degrees in math and nobody cares in this industry. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, that's cute. You know, I was a um, terrible student in school. You know, so yeah, that matter. Doesn't matter. It takes a little bit of hustle. You do have to know stuff, you know, but it's fairly easy to pick up. You know, you find, figure out how to analyze, figure out how to put deals together. You figure out how to run things. It helps if you have help, but so you don't have to be blessed out of the womb to be able to succeed here. So good points. So duplex, quit your job. Tell us, you know, take it from there. You know, how do things go? Uh, yeah, spent a few years flipping houses. So did the single family thing for a while. Uh, started collecting the single families. I had a, a portfolio of those that I was holding and operating and ultimately realized that a pile of single family houses was management intensive for lack of an economy of scale. And so I, too, actually went to my very first multifamily seminar. Yeah. And I actually, funny, I had a complete opposite story. I the, the people that I brought with me were some of the house flipping friends mm-hmm. from Macon. And we went to Atlanta. And uh, this is back in the, you know, Tony Robbins days, way, you know, yeah. 15, 20 years ago now, however long, almost 20 years ago now. My two friends that I brought with me were house flippers. And I said, hey, look, here's a person talking about multifamily. Let's go over here and listen to them. And they were complete naysayers. They immediately said, oh, no, no, this is garbage. There's no point. This person can't come from up north down here to tell us about how to do real estate in middle Georgia. Total naysayers. And I I drug them into the room anyway, and we listened to the program. They were completely negative, and it actually stopped me from taking action. And I was going to get the home study course uh, from this individual that was selling them, and I didn't. And we left, and we got all the way out of the parking lot to go home that afternoon. We'd all driven separately, and I and I 
felt bad. And I went, you know what? I think I left my wallet inside. I was like, I'll catch up. <laughs> and I run back inside and I literally caught the speaker packed up and was walking out of the room with uh, all of the yeah. stuff. And I grabbed the home study course from him, paid cash. Yep. And that made all the difference. And that was what got me ultimately. Yeah. Shifted from single family to multifamily, but I was actually surrounded by naysayers, people that I were, was looking up to. And, yeah. Uh, I knew they were wrong. So I did. Yeah. Anyway. I was fortunate. I had a lot of people who were encouraging, just, I didn't have any good examples up front of what success looked like, you know? And so when I got in, I mean, the people that I was around at most had a couple of single family homes, you know? And so every once in a while, you know, I'd, I'd come across somebody that had high single digits. And it's like, wow, you've got eight single family homes. I had encouragement, you know, instead of uh, eh, multifamily thing, it's all, uh, yeah, whatever. But uh, you know, yeah. it was a scam is basically their point of view. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A lot of people kind of have that scam mentality. There's a lot of scammers out there. You know, there are. I'm not yeah. There are. So, but uh, fish oil, snake oil, snake oil. Fish oil is good for you. Snake oil is not. <laughs> Sorry. But, <laughs> but yeah, so so cool. So you, you bought the study at home course, you say 20 years ago, and box of books, books on books on tape, or what, what did you get? My very first, very, very, very first piece of real estate information, I did have to be kind and rewind. You know, I, yeah. I did. You literally, I, I got it a yard sale in a box and stuff. It was a VCR tape. You had to plug it in, rewind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my very first piece of uh, real estate yeah. course or, or home study stuff. Yeah, from a garage sale. Yeah. My first one, I got uh, a cassette tape one, and then I had a, a six disc, and it was perfect. It was a six disc CD course. And why was it perfect? Because I had a six disc changer in the trunk. of my <laughs> right? So yeah, that was, that was number two for me, but I wish I would have taken a little more action, you know, back in 2000 something when I was, you know, listening to those every day, but you got the study at home course, you know, tell us how, you know, your first couple properties or how you got into your first couple multifamily properties from there. Yeah. My first 402 units were all of some form of creative financing. Mm-hmm. So uh, seller financing, lease options, credit cards, you know, don't, don't do that one, but uh, you know, lots of different ways of, of creative financing. Yeah. A lot of seller financing, but that's, I had a lot of credit actually from a lender and I would buy cash and then, you know, Burr model, renovate, refi and, and put the money back in a lot of credit. So I did, did all kind of stuff like that to be get going, but uh, the started off houses and then went um, nine units, let's say then 20 units, 27 units, 44 units, Mm-hmm. Uh, then 108, 150 ones and got into the large ones after that. But it was not to 100, 200. It wasn't like that. I, yeah. I did some properties going upwards. I guess so, like so you, I mean, your your way of scaling was, it wasn't go straight to the 100 plus unit. It was slowly build and get into larger and larger and larger stuff. Kind of a, a more, I'm not going to say natural progression, but more of a- Linear. Yeah, linear. Yeah, more. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't. I didn't J, J curve to the top or anything. I didn't just come out of the gate and start doing you know multi million dollar deals. Yeah. Now you talk about the creative financing. Did the uh, did the course teach you that creative financing, or is that no. something that you just figured out? And that stuff I figured out on my own, uh, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, and uh, just it was a survival thing. You know, I, it's funny. I tell the story. It's actually embarrassed to talk about creative financing in the beginning because I thought. Did everybody went out, put down 20, 25%, got a loan, bought real estate. And here I was having to get deals done with seller financing and lease options and stuff like that. And I thought that was some kind of poor person's way of doing real estate. You know, all the normal people just go and get deals, right? Pay money. I mean, that's what I thought. Here I am, you know, doing 
dozens of deals yeah. this way. And I'm at a, at a conference one time and, and somebody asked me how many units I had. I think I had a hundred, 200 units, something like that at the mm-hmm. time. And, uh, and they asked me how I'd done that and how I financed it. And, and I never would really tell anybody. I didn't want to talk about it. But, yeah. So I finally yeah. started talking. So I like, fine, look, I did, you know, so the financing is other. And I remember the day that I looked up and there was probably 20 people all standing around like taking notes. And that's when it dawned on me. I'm like, what, you, you want to know this stuff? And everybody was like, yeah. So that was the first sort of how I got into it. It was a lot of creativity, a lot of uh, seller financing lease options. But let me say that was also in the sort of post 05, going through 08 period mm-hmm. where the market was different. Yeah. You know, I've written a book on creative financing, but a lot of people say, yeah, but we haven't used that. We haven't seen lease options. You haven't seen seller financing over the last five years. I agree. You haven't because the prices have been you know high enough that if somebody had an issue, they could probably just sell. Yeah. yeah, but that market's changing and it's changing real quick. And so I think over the next few years, we will see creative financing come back in where we have not. Yeah. And it's going to kind of fill in the gap when lenders sort of retreat, which we are currently seeing. I think we're at the start of that right now. Right. I mean, we, we're we selling a couple of properties right now where the buyers asked to assume our loan. A couple of years ago, I mean, assuming loans was just like, why would I assume your loan? Because you know I can get a brand new loan, interest only period at the same or a lower rate right now, you know? And so everybody was getting the new loans because higher proceeds, you know, higher LTV, lower rates. And, and now I think a lot of people are starting to do the same thing. It's like if Fannie and Freddie are quoting you, you know, fives and sixes, and you can assume a loan at four something, you know, now all of a sudden I think people are getting a little more creative. And I think you're right. The pendulum shifting the other direction. I think uh, a lot of sellers haven't adjusted yet, but some of the buyers are adjusting and trying to figure out how to make prices work. So, exactly. all right. So you mentioned the book and I'll bring it up right now. So tell us a little bit about the book. Uh, yeah, I have two books. Actually, one is Creative Cash. Yep. That's the one. Uh, they're both on Amazon. That's the one that is on creative financing. Okay. Uh, sort of a how-to and how I built my entire portfolio using lease options, seller financing, things of that nature. The second book is Real Estate Raw, and that is a how to build a portfolio in multifamily, period. So that is just a start to stop how to get into real estate and how, more specifically multifamily. Nice. But uh, yeah, so the two of them together are, are how to get it financed with creativity and how to get it started. All right. I'll put links to the the Amazon web pages in the show notes for anybody interested in those books. And you know, I, I think creative, that creative cash one, as you mentioned, is probably going to be more and more important as the lending environment does what it's doing right now. You know, now it's, as we're recording this, it's October 19th. So as soon as this airs, people are going to be able to fact check me. I mean, the Fed's going to meet in two weeks. All right. I think they're going to raise rates again. You know, I think that's going to exacerbate the situation and it's going to be even harder to make the numbers work. The the higher that interest rate gets without the prices reducing, okay, we're, we're going to see a lot more creative financing in, in the market. So I, I would say it's not a question of whether they raise rates. It's just how much. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's not whether. It be, if they don't, uh, that would be extremely shocking. But how yeah. much? Point three quarters. I'm once again, I'm, I'm pulling out my magic eight ball, which I call my crystal ball, giving it a good shake. I'm saying, you know, 50 basis points. We'll see. Three quarters. I'm, I'm, I think they're going to hit us with another three quarters, actually. Three quarters. Okay. All right. Well, you know, so right if you're listening right now, you'll know if one of us was right or we were both wrong. Hey, David, you want to throw a guest in as well while we're speculating? 
It does seem like three quarters, but I really just want to put a muzzle on on, on Secretary Powell because <laughs> every time he opens his mouth, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, right. So, all right. So we got two at three quarters, one at uh, one at half point, and and we'll see. So this will air probably second week of November. So um, you know that that'll all be history by the time it comes out. So, all right. We had our speculation. It's on the record. Hopefully we all lose. And he says, you know, I think we're good. Your rates are going down, but uh, not going to happen. All right. So second book, Real Estate Raw, More Multifamily, How to Build That Portfolio. So let's talk about your portfolio right now. Pick your first or your favorite asset and tell us something about your your multifamily portfolio. Yeah, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. First, I can tell you, I've sold everything. So uh, I've been a, a net seller. Literally, as you said, this uh, October 19th, closed one Friday last sale. So I've liquidated everything, um, sort of cash position, not waiting on anything particular. And I think a lot of people ask me that. They're like, oh, you're waiting on the sidelines. You're waiting. I'm not waiting for anything. I just know what a good deal is. Yeah. When I see one and when I get that offer accepted, I'll buy it. And if I you know, don't get the offer accepted, I won't buy it. Granted, a lot of my offers are not being accepted today because I am still underwriting you know, as I always have in the same terms that I've always underwritten at, I don't chase markets. And so sometimes I get offers accepted. Sometimes I don't at the moment I'm not, but we have sold partners and I have sold everything and done quite well and and done well for our investors and everybody's happy. So I am sitting here waiting to see what's next. And that's where I'm at. So so you're still looking, you're not on the sidelines. You're still looking and you're keeping, you, you have your buy criteria and you're sticking with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I'm always looking, always looking at deals, always analyzing deals. It's just everybody else's opinion that fluctuates, yeah. not mine. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people throw out data points and, uh, you know, saw one this morning from somebody who's does a lot of educational type stuff, you know, pulled a spreadsheet up and said, here's our analysis. Here's our cap rate. You know, here, here's everything we've analyzed in the last, you know, six months. Here's the cap rates. Here's our offer price. And they said something similar where, our underwriting hasn't changed. The way we come up with our offer price hasn't changed, but sellers are still sticking to their prices. You know, our, our offer prices have gotten lower on certain assets over the last couple of months, but sellers haven't come down yet. And I, I think there's a little bit of seeing both sides. You know, if if you got an offer at, you know, six million on a property seven months ago, you don't want to sell it for four right now. I think there's a lot of that. So. Right. But you know, I always tell everybody is that sellers have mortgages and buyers don't. Mm-hmm. We can sit here. Sellers will have an exit of some sort sooner or later. Yeah. You know, they will refi, sell, or go into foreclosure. It is always one of those three. And these sellers will have debt maturity. And I think there is a fair amount of maturity exposure in the market, meaning people that went out and got loans two, three years ago that were two, three year interest only loans. And they underwrote an exit being very conservative at four, four and a half percent interest rate. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And where, you know, and now I think a lot of those exits are going to be highly tested and that we, you may not see some of those exit prices that were predicted actually hit. It's really about debt service ratio. That's the issue. You know, the, the prices have exceeded the value based on the revenue approach. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, our first couple of acquisitions were late 2019. I mean, last week was the third anniversary of my first multifamily acquisition, right? And so fortunately, we don't have three-year debt on that one. But had we gone with a three-year bridge product, 
right. you know, we would have been forced to sell because of where we were in the market. With a three-year product, a 311, you've got to pay to execute the extension. The extension is going to come with a much higher interest rate than the original debt came, or you're just going to have the refinance option is almost off the table because you know, three years ago, you were getting three point something and now you're getting six point something. So I think you're right. There are some people who are going to have to sell. People who can weather the storm are going to weather the storm. You know, people who can just hold and cash flow, aka the guys who got long-term debt, they're going to be just fine. And they're just going to say, you know what? We planned on selling right now, but we're just going to hold it until we can sell it. Yeah. And that's that's the strength and the weakness of multifamily. It's it's the debt, the operations and the debt. If you've got good operations and you're cash flowing and you have a long debt, you can care less what the prices do. Just so yeah. what? The, the prices crash tomorrow. Don't sell. Just keep yeah. cash, operate, sell in the future. No problem. Yeah. That's the strength. But at the same time, the, the loans that we get that can be shorter in term mm-hmm. can force you to be a net seller at times. And that is where you have to be extra careful. It's about you know not over leveraging, not overpaying, but not, not getting too short a loan term either. Yep. And knowing your market cycle, knowing where you're at in the market cycle. And today I would say, don't do anything less than five to seven year debt right now. Our first acquisition, if you rewind the clock to mid 2019, the yield curve had inverted for the first time in a dozen years. And, you know, the big talk in 2019 was recession, recession, recession. I scratched my head and started thinking, you know, how do we how do we position ourselves so a recession isn't going to hurt? And the answer was long-term debt. You know, that, that was the answer back then. And fortunately, now there's there's pros and cons both directions. We got a 12-year term. Right. A significant prepayment penalty. You have options. The downside was, you know, when when the market was really, really good, you know, a year ago, we couldn't sell because of the prepayment penalty. But I mean, end of the day, you know, now we still have nine years on the term left at a 2019 interest rate. So I've I've got a lot of stories on both sides of what you just said. I won't go off down the rabbit hole now because we don't have time. But basically, I've made money and lost money on both of those sides, Mm -hmm. Uh, made uh, made a, a 40 something percent return while once spending a million dollars in prepayment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One million dollars getting out of a loan because we had a huge prepayment penalty and somebody walked up and offered us a tremendous price for the property and it was still worth yeah. selling. We made great returns after even, you know, just throwing away one million dollars cash. That that really hurt my feelings, but we yeah. still still did well in the deal. And at the same time, same thing, I've I've gotten short-term loans, three years three-year loans that came due in, in 2010, 2011, and the values were upside down. And I had the exact same problem and lost money. I had a loan reset and cost me $175,000 in cash. Yeah. Put into a deal to write the equity in a deal. So cash in refinance. Cash in yeah. refinance. So you can be on either side of that. And you're absolutely right. So I, I have, and again, we'll go too far into this, but in one of my books, I have a concept that I call the three pillars of real estate. Yeah. And it's debt market cycle. Uh, exit strategy. Yep. Right? So you have to know where, and not, not in any particular order, it's like you have to know uh, where you're at in the market cycle, up, down, what's the term, yep. what kind of loan are you getting, and then what's your exit strategy, right? You want to, if you're flipping something, obviously you don't get the long-term loan with the, the defeasance like I did, yep. you know, and if you're holding long-term, you obviously don't go get the three-year bridge debt that comes due, and then market cycle. So you need to know where you're at, where you're going, and do you get the right debt product that allows that business model. So three, yeah. three, 
you get those three things, you're usually pretty successful in real estate. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Like we do. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, hey, well, uh, one one last question for you. We talked a little bit about it, but uh, you know, what's next for you? Um, more of the same, same thing, you know, uh, just keep looking at deals, stay in the market. I'm it's, it's always Tuesday to me. You know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, it's, it's always a day at the office or, or maybe not, you know, so it's a lifestyle, uh, no big flashy answer to that. I'm just going to keep looking at deals, keep you know, building out the network, raising money, making friends and contacts and, uh, and just keep going. That's it. Awesome. Sounds good. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and uh, bring David on. So Dave, how's it going today? Great. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. Just for Absolutely. This is my first uh, podcast. I've listened to hours and hours and hours and hours, but this is my first time. So thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And incidentally, most of the, pa- of, of the aspiring investors that come on the podcast have the same story. It is their first podcast. So I'm just going to throw out a shameless plug to the listeners. You know, if you've never been on a podcast and you want to give me a shout out. Okay. We'll put, we'll put a link in the, in the show notes somewhere to get you on the podcast. Welcome and don't feel nervous. So do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, both of my parents are in real estate, currently are in real estate. Uh, my dad has his own, uh, his own office and, uh, you know, just, uh, the classic, all-American story and moves here at 16 from Spain, $26 in his pocket, meets my mom six months later, married, <laughs> still married after 54 years. So oh, nice. I'm sorry. More than 50. Jeez. Uh, no, 50 something. 50 some odd. <laughs> yeah. Wild, wild. He, so um, yeah, just all all grit and and starts selling. Ends up buying the office that that he was working with, and when the market in '92 and little by little started buying his own properties. Yep. Um, in '92, the market kind of uh, dropped out, so he ends up selling his office and runs his office and runs his properties. Um, he was uh, he was the boots on the ground. My mom was the the paperwork, mm-hmm. and they had their team of handyman and everything else. But literally, as soon as I was old enough to hold the plunger, we were out there fixing stuff too. So, <laughs> love it, love it. So, so real estate, the real estate family is what you came from. You know, mom involved, dad involved, and you know, kids plunging toilets. So, yeah, awesome, yeah. awesome. <laughs> So uh, from from there, you know, so Los Angeles, uh, born, raised in the Los Angeles area, you know, tell us, you know, from there. Uh, my oldest brother uh, started a marketing office in Miami. So at 21, I moved out to Miami. Uh, really enjoyed Miami at 21. Uh, <laughs> spent the last 20 years uh, there, uh, finished off college, went to London for my master's in history. So what do you do with the master's in history? You go work in marketing. Yeah. So, <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. So, yep. Yeah. So, um I always had the bug for for real estate and and I love research which, you know, with history and marketing it's yeah. it hand in hand. Um and just before I got married, we we uh, purchased our first property in Miami. It was a foreclosure, did all the research, had an agency helped us through the auction process. It was really amazing just seeing my dad's face the first time he walked in after we had fixed it up. He was just like, yeah, it gives you, uh, you know, uh, butterflies in your stomach to get that kind of a look. It was really just amazing. So kept on working, kept on looking for properties in Miami. 
for one reason or another, didn't find anything there. Then we did a road trip to uh, Greenville, South Carolina, which that road trip was wild. So my grandfather on my mom's side was a Jewish German. So he leaves Germany before the war. He goes to Argentina, studying to be a rabbi, meets my Catholic grandmother. They get married. The rest of us are Catholic. But the rest of his family gets stuck in Italy trying to get out. His parents get put into a concentration camp. They have a daughter inside the concentration camp. And she lives there until six years old. She ends up after the war. Italy is liberated by the Americans. They go to Israel. Her daughter moves to Greenville, South Carolina. So last summer, 2021, we come up to visit because now my great aunt is giving a talk here in Greenville. And my wife and I drive up, road trip, and we fall in love with it. We're going to come for three days. We end up staying two weeks. Mm -hmm. I start networking with local brokers. We find this amazing portfolio of 30 single family homes and duplexes. We put in our offer in December, January, we pack up the car and the one house that was vacant in that portfolio, we actually put in the contract. Hey, can we stay in that house while we're doing inspections? We thought inspections were going to take a month, two months tops. But here we are in October, still trying to get to the closing table nice. for a roundabout way. But turns out that that one house that was available was two houses down from my cousin in Greenville. So it just kind of felt that everything was bringing us to Greenville. Nice. Since 1940. Greenville uh, Greenville's a great market to be in. A lot of my portfolio was in that area, Greenville, Spartanburg. And I know, you know Bill's not too far from there. I think we'll all say great place to start your investing career. You know, speaking of investing career, you know, if you, if you had to boil things down to one thing, what would your, what would your big burning why be? What would your motivation be? And I've listened to so many of your episodes and <laughs> everyone says family, but honestly, my wife and I were married three years now. We want to have kids. I want to be ready when those kids come and give them a life where I can show them the world. I want to give my wife the life that I want to give her as well. That's my impulse for everything is, is really my family. And, and also following in my father's footsteps is a big thing for me just to, you know, I want zero inheritance from my parents because my parents have given me everything in my life. Yep. So really it's that respect that, that I have back towards my parents as well. Mm -hmm. to, to, Love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, we have Bill on the line. What do you want to ask him? Oh, I have so many questions for that. <laughs> sure, go ahead. And really I have to get on Amazon and, and, and buy both of those books because they both sound awesome. My first question is, and so in Greenville, they have an amazing RIA. Uh, and I joined the RIA and amazing people. I just feel that everyone's super trustworthy and you can just be very transparent with them. Everyone keeps saying, get your license, get your license. And I'm taking the classes for, for my real estate license, but there are certain things that you can and can't do with a real estate license, especially when you get into creative financing. So, you know, talking directly to the owner as opposed to going through and talking to agents, different things. So when it comes to creative financing, do you think it's worth it? Because I'm fine taking the courses and getting all the education, even if I don't take the licensing. Yeah, I, it's actually a question I get asked on a semi-regular basis. And my answer is usually pretty much the same. No, don't go get a realtor's license unless you plan to make a living as a realtor. So don't get the license thinking the license in and of itself is going to open doors or get you deals or something like that is actually probably quite the opposite. It's probably going to close doors. You're going to have to identify yourself as a realtor. It's going to make working with other realtors maybe a little more difficult. When you start getting into commercial multifamily, 20, 30 units and above, the realtors really don't share commissions. 
So it's not like you're going to be sharing in commissions of your own deals. So that, that's not going to happen. You know, so I would say no one should get a realtor's license, creative financing aside, unless they really plan to go out, list assets and work and make a living as a realtor. Now, if you're going to do that, that's fine. Another area that I've seen a lot of people uh, don't really stop and think about this is that depending on the brokerage firm you're with, they may start taking cuts and or limit what they allow you to even buy and invest in, period. Mm -hmm. So I have had students that were realtors that went out to go buy their own apartment complex, their own piece of real estate, and their boss, that broker, shows up and says, no, no, I get a cut of that because you work for me. And So just read the fine print once you become a realtor. I would say no again, not not to be an investor. It's not going to help you as an investor. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, I want to know all the laws and all the you know that part. I don't know all the laws, but again, I just know that it's, it's <laughs> but no real net benefit. You had mentioned that you're selling off a lot of your properties. How are you getting around the taxes on that? Oh, I'm not. No, your taxes are gone. Yeah, not. You're not doing ten thirty one exchanges 1031. and things like that. Those are hard to do in syndicated deals, and most of my deals have been syndicated. I uh, have a lot of investors and general partners and things like that. And so 1031 exchanges where you do the tax deferred exchange can be uh, difficult. But no, that's, you know, you only paying taxes on profit. Everybody needs to understand that, right? You're paying taxes as a percentage of the money you make. So you have to make money. So as long as you're making money, you're making money. Taxes are just a part of the American society. You know, everybody wants to get up in arms about that, but it's just part of business. So you can avoid it. Hey, avoid it. I'm all for, you know, legitimate tax things, but uh, no, and in a lot of cases, you just need to pay pay your bills and go on. And that's what we've done. Oh, okay. This is, this is the first year I'm worried about with taxes. I've been able to zero things out, but we've already sold three properties and we'll probably close on two more before the end of the year. So as tax friendly as real estate is, I think I'll actually pay into the system for 2022. You know, yeah, I would, I would make the comment, if you're not paying taxes, you're either not making enough money or you're making a tremendous amount of money. You know, it's, it's like, you, <laughs> you're not paying taxes, you're super rich or super broke. One of the yeah. two. Most of us in the middle, you pay more taxes because you're, you're going to make more money. Yeah, I mean, Do what you can, get a good account, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I would seriously focus on making money and not seriously focus on not losing it. Yeah. Right. You know, focus on the making part, really. Yeah, I saw I saw Robert Helms from Real Estate Guys, you know, on a stage once and said, "Who here wants to pay more taxes?" And of course, nobody put their hand in the air. You know, I'd have, I'd have jumped up on both feet and been like, "Me, I do, I do." And then they made the point. He's like, "You guys all should be doing that." He's like, "If you're paying more taxes, you're making more money." Yes, everybody well, here should want to pay more taxes. You know, yeah, so an absurd yeah. point of view. To think Absolutely. That yeah, yeah, I would have been like, sign me right up. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay a million dollars in taxes next sure. year. Probably means I'm making four, so or three, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Taxes. Cool. What have you come up against with banks when you've had these creative financing? Well, you don't typically. Yeah. All right. So it's... I'm sorry. Let me, let me back up. Let me just ask. What have you come up with? The owner's bank or the owner's mortgage company. When you're okay. Yep. That can. All right. So if a seller has a mortgage that very much limits what they can do as far as anything creative, first of all. Mm -hmm. So it takes away seller financing. They cannot legitimately seller finance a property to you if they have a mortgage because a legitimate seller financing would be a transfer of the deed. They can't do that because they don't have the deed because they have a mortgage. 
Now people will say things like, oh yeah, but you can do subject to financing. Well, we just won't tell the bank and I'll just make the payment and pinky swear. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, there is some risk there. The loan could get called. They usually don't, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, then there's there's lease options, doing a master lease option. Either way, um, I would say you want to get permission from the lender or at least notify the lender that you and the seller are going to do this and make sure that it doesn't trigger any fine print or do on sale clause that would be in that loan. Um, but again, if the seller has 100% equity, then you can go do seller financing. I recommend seller financing first if you can absolutely help it of all the types, you know. So, yeah, that is what you're going to run into. Um, another point would be your bank. Uh, and this the people come up with this a lot. They, they say, hey, wait, I got an idea. I'll go get 80% loan from, you know, my bank. And then I'll get 20% carry back from Brian. And ta-da, 100% financing. I don't, I don't have to worry about this. Yeah, hold on. The primary lender, your bank is not likely to allow you to have zero at-risk capital. They might let the seller, Brian here, carry back some of it, but the likelihood that they're going to let him carry back 100%, you get a mortgage, just no skin in the game. Please call me with that bank's phone number if you have a lender that's doing that, because I've got some bridges and swamps I'd like to refinance with them. But uh, besides that, that's very unlikely that you're going to pull that off. And so that's those are some of the things you'll run into with lenders. That's true. A lot of lenders, a lot of lenders have clauses in your contract that limit the second mortgages that you can put on. Some of them actually outlaw. Right? I don't know if it's outlaws, right, but they restrict. Most will have exclusions to that. Yeah. And I'll tell you something else. Most lenders actually pull title at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe more often. How do I know? Yeah, I had, a, I had a contractor put a lien on me one time, and I was, you know, arguing with the contractor, and I uh, got a call from the lender. It said, "Hey, you've got a lien on your property. That's a violation of your mortgage. Get that off." Mm-hmm. Didn't even think about the lender finding that. I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just, you know, getting into it with the contractor. They put a lien on. We were taken care of. Didn't take the lender long to find that. So you yeah. will get caught. All right. Well, hey, guys, we are about out of time. I mean, I just looked at the clock and wow, time flies. <laughs> but one last question for each of you as we wrap things up. Bill, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, easy. Um, we have my real estate uh, group on Facebook, Real Estate Raw. Just go on Facebook and look up Real Estate Raw. It's a group. Uh, love to have you in there. Please join us. Same as the book title. And uh, and then reach out to me, Bill at GoBroadwell.com is my email. If you have any questions or anything you want to know, please reach out to me. I'd be happy to, to tell you. I do offer some personal coaching. I, I won't go into a sales pitch here, but if you're interested in, in working with me, reach out. I'll give you some information. All right. And we'll have that information in the show notes for anybody interested. And David, same thing for you. How can listeners learn more about you? You can email me directly, david at goldstromventures.com or Instagram is goldstromventures. Pretty simple. We're working on our website and building up the LinkedIn, but, uh, but yeah, those are the best ways. Perfect. And we'll have that information in the show notes as well. So once again, guys, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Very much appreciate your time and had a great, great time today. So thanks. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.